0: We continue to shear in Navi Jewish history. bring you up to date, the story of Ahab king of the ten tribes of Israel. And only thing to keep in mind now is that Ahab was listed as one of the most wicked kings in history. As the Pesach testifies, he was more wicked in his slightest deeds than Yerubim ben Avot at his worst. We continue now with his evil deeds Torah tells us a story that there was a man named Navos. This man, Novos, had a vineyard. This vineyard was close to Achav's palace. The vineyard was a very desirable one, one that Achav wanted very much for himself. So he approached Novos with an offer to either pay any price that Novos would ask or to give him a different vineyard in exchange, anyone he would want. An offer he considered to be very fair, aside from the fact that he was a king talking to an ordinary layman. So, to his surprise, to his chagrin, Novos refused outright. He said, I would not sell it for any price. I have not traded it at all because this is an inheritance. It's priceless to me. So I must reject the offer of the king, I must turn down his request, but I will not part with this vineyard and there's no sense in trying to induce me to any further." Achal went home, who was, who felt very bitterly about this, but he couldn't think of a solution. Now, why not the simple solution? The question, of course, is raised by the commentaries. You recall when the Jews first spoke to Shmuel Hanabi, Shmuel the prophet, and they said to him, we demand that you give us a king like all other nations. Shmuel the prophet tried to dissuade them, and he said, if I give you a king, there are certain rules you must abide by. One of those is that the king has a right to take your sons at will to be his servants, his slaves. You can conscript any number of men from your families. In addition, your properties are at his mercy. The king goes where he wants, He can break through any property that he wishes, and everything is legally his. So why couldn't Achav take this vineyard legally? The answer is, the din says, law is that the king is permitted to take only the fruit that grows in their vineyards or the crops that grow in their fields. He cannot forcefully take the property itself. Achav did not want to do something that was against the law, which might turn all the people against him, because they'd feel he could do it to them too. So he was very bitter. He came home. He came home to his dear wife, Izabel, who, if anything, was much far worse than Echov. She was the essence of evil itself, as is demonstrated by her name. She said to Echov, I see you're feeling very low tonight. Tell me Mm -hmm. what it is. He told her the story. She said to him, well, you relax and be happy because I will handle it for you, in my own fashion." So she summoned the Canaan, the elders, the advisors to her, those who were loyal to her, ones of her own kind. She said to them, I want you to call upon all the Jews to a day of fast. The assembly were during this fast. People fast for their sins. There a time when people have to atone for their crimes. Of course, any sin except out of worship, naturally. And they must confess their crimes, or they have to be testified against. So when they're assembled, see that you have two among you, appoint two false witnesses, to testify that Navos had blessed Hashem and the King. We use the word blessed as a respectable word. We're not allowed to use the opposite word, which Referring to Hashem. But it's understood as to what she meant. Now, a crime like that, blessing Hashem and the king, constitutes a death penalty aside from the treason against the king. And then, after this testimony, find him guilty and have him put to death. This was carried out, and afterwards she told Novos was killed by this trial. And then she said to her husband, to Achav, Now you may go freely and inherit this vineyard. Because the law is that those who were killed, put to death by the kingdom, their properties are taken over by the king. Now, legally, it's yours. So, celebrate. Achav went to this vineyard, and Hashem sent a Navi to speak to Achav, Because this act infuriated Hashem to have a person killed with evil, selfish desires So the Na'vi came to Ahav, met him there at the vineyard, and he said to him these very famous words, Have you committed murder and then inherited the fruits of your murder? Therefore, he said, don't answer this question. I'll tell you now. Because of what you've done, Hashem has sent me with a message to you. You are going to pay for this with your life. That's the first thing. You're going to die. Secondly, you're going to die in a manner where the dogs are going to lick up your blood will not be a normal type of death. Third, all of your descendants, every member of your family is going to be wiped out completely. There will be no trace left of the family of Achav whatsoever. In addition, of course, Jezebel's blood will be licked up by dogs, too. Achav heard this, he went home, and he took this very deeply to heart. The words of Elia struck him, So deeply, he tore his clothes, he put on a sack, ashes on his head, and he walked up and back crying as an act of repentance. He was very repentant, very saddened by what he had done. Then Hashem said to Elianub, Have you seen Achav? Achav, the wicked, has turned around and is sorry. Therefore, he must pay for this act. The prophecy will come true. For one thing he'll be spared, that he will not have to see the death of his family. His children, his descendants will not be wiped out during his time, it will happen in a later generation. The rest of the prophecy will come true. Now we come to the point, the materialization of this prophecy. Very unusual manner. So unusual in fact, that this becomes tied in with a number of heavenly incidents. The Torah says that three years later, Achav suddenly decided that the country of Aram, whom he had defeated previously in battle, had not surrendered the lands that they had promised. There was one section called ramay Skilod that was not given to him, and although they refused to concede this land. Achav called upon his friend Yerushafot, the king of the Kingdom of Yehuda, king of the two tribes of Israel, and he asked him if he would join him in battle against Aram. Yeshaphat came to visit Achav. They sat together. They, their followers, sat together in a very close, friendly manner. The Gemara says that they actually ate together. They were very friendly. And Yeshaphat said to Achav, it's a risky battle because the country of Aram are now much stronger than they were previously. Should we risk going to all of them? There's only one way to determine this. Let us call upon the prophets. Let's see what they say is in store for us. And so Ahav said they agreed. We call the prophets. We call them the prophets of the Baal, the idol worshipping prophets. They all came before Ahav, every one of them spoke up, the prophecy is from heaven, go, and you will be successful. You will succeed. Everyone said this. And one of them, Tzitkia, tzitkia also a leader of the Nevei Habao, put on a pair of horns and danced around and said, I have a prophecy from heaven, a prediction that these horns you will gore, you will destroy Aram sounded very good to Ahav, but Yehoshaphat said to Ahav, don't you have a good prophet, a prophet who speaks in the name of Hashem, one who speaks truth? Because these do not appear to be truthful to me. The fact that all these prophets have spoken in exactly the same vein, so similar to each other, proves they must be false. Because true prophets never, there are not two prophets that are alike, true ones. All the famous prophets that we have in Nevi'im every one of them had a different style of prophecy. His words came out differently. Here all these are alike, I refuse to accept their prophecy until I hear from a Nevi Hashem. So Achav said, I have one, his name is Mikhahu, but uh, he doesn't like me at all. He's sort of an enemy of mine. Last time he told me some bad things and I'm sure he'll speak against me. Yehoshaphat said, let's see what he has to say. So he sent messengers to bring Prophet Michoahu. The messengers said to Michoahu, we warn you better say good things about it, give an encouraging report rather than the opposite. Michoahu said, I will report only what Hashem says to me and nothing else. No threats can deter me. He came before Achav, and Achav said to him, What do you see? Mikheyu said to Achav, I see, go up and be successful, you'll succeed. So Achav said, You're making jest of me, a mockery, because this is not the usual words. Your views, your prophecy, is only preceded by the words, amar Hashem. So says Hashem. I didn't ask your opinion, I ask for what Hashem says. And then, Mikhail said, fine, I'll tell you what I see. At that moment, Tzikiyahu stepped forward, seeing that he would speak badly, and he struck Mikhail in the face. It was so severe a blow that he bled. Mikhail said, I see that you're going into battle, and that the Jews will return unharmed in this battle. I'll be unharmed because I have just shed blood on their behalf. My bloodshed will forgive all of the Jews. The power of a tzaddik suffering is so great that its it forgives for the sins of the Jews. But the entire Jewish army will be spared defeat because of this one small incident. But I advise you also to remove yourself. Let to go into this battle because you will not come out of this alive. Acha refused to accept. Then Michael said, fine, then I will not tell you what I see, what I really see. This is the vision I get. I see in heaven Hashem with angels to the right and angels to the left. Both sides are presenting their arguments in reference to your case. Well, before we go further, the Gemara and the Kodesh explain what is meant by angels to the right and angels to the left. It's a very sacrilegious word to use. How do we dare to say right and left about Hashem? Right and left you can say about a human being. Space refers to humans. Hashem created space. There's no right of Hashem or left of Hashem. Hashem created right and left. Therefore, the Gemara says right and left mean right means those who speak well, left means those who are opposed. The right of the defense, the left are the attorneys. Every person going into the heavenly court, this case is presented, he has angels for him, angels against, pro and con. The pro are right, and the opposite, those who come to attack are called the left. Or, as is known, in the regular languages, chesed and din. Chesed is the kindness, that's called man the right is Chesed. din, harshness, judgment, is for the left. Well, I see, he said, that there are two sides, and these two sides are equal, they're arguing. The right side demands success, life for Ahab, the left side demands death, and they are equal. The question arises, how is that possible? This was a true vision. How could we imagine, how could we conceive that in heaven there'd be this lineup of two equal sides? With all the sins that Ahav committed, all the idol worship, and all the instilling this atheism, this idolatry into the hearts of so many Jews, how could he be equal, to have an equal amount of good and bad? He should have been considered all bad. If he has right and left, it means that he is just about His scale is balanced. There's an equal number of mitzvahs and sins, and we have no record of mitzvahs done by him. One is considered one of the worst, if not the worst king of history. The Gemara answers that it is true that Achav had an innumerable amount of sins, but he had one mitzvah to his credit. This mitzvah was so great that it erased 50% of his sins and balanced it on the other side. But what mitzvah was, that he gave assistance, food and other matters of aid, to Talmidei Chachamim, Because to assist a Talmud Chacham is so great, to a Hanuman and to assist them so monetarily, They give money to a Talmud Chacham, <laughs> it is so great a mitzvah that it is equivalent to attaching oneself to Hashem is You want to attach yourself to Hashem, it's like attaching yourself to a fire. But attach yourself to a Talmud Chachem, and that's to a Tzaddik, Just like attaching yourself to Hashem. It's very noteworthy for us, at least for us, to take to make note of the fact that this statement in the Gemara is made by a rabbi of the Gemara, Rab Nachman. And this is, fittingly, it's always the name that counts. Menazal's name, the same name, Menazal is the one who stresses this fact constantly, Become kasher, become niskasher, bound and attached to the tzadikimus. In that manner, only can a person really be saved from all evil, from all sins. And here this point is stressed, not just any person, but one of the worst people in all of history, Achav, O Umachti, who makes of Benavot look small, And for him, because of this one mitzvah of attaching himself, how by aiding monetarily, a tzadik, a ton of this gave him so much credit that his scales were balanced. In this balanced scales, there was a problem that arose what to do with now? At that point, Hashem spoke up to the heavenly court and said, we need someone to endorse He has one sin that is so great, it's going to outweigh the others. His mitzvah he has will neutralize his avodazarah, idol worship. But he has one sin of killing, of murder, and that sin of murder is enough to bend the scales against him. (coughs) We need someone to lead Achav into battle, and there he will fall, there he will die. Who will be the one? that will lead Achav into battle. Suddenly, this is still Mikhail the prophet, speaking. He said, suddenly a spirit rose up, came before Hashem and said, I will lead Achav into battle. And how will I do it? I will descend to earth, and I will enter into the minds of his false prophets as a spirit, and speak through them, and mislead him into thinking that he's going to enjoy victory. Eorah says, Who was the spirit? Eorah the answers, This was the spirit, Joach, of the murdered man, Navos. This was his spirit in heaven, who now came to seek vengeance for his own death. So he said, Let me descend as a false spirit, a false prophet, a false prophecy in the mouths of these prophets. In this way, mislead him, direct him into battle. Where he will die. Hashem said to the spirit, go out and do it. The Gemara says, why go out and do it? And Hashem speaks. Any word of the Torah of that matter must be taken very carefully, studied carefully. Why did Hashem say, go and do it? Why go out? Go out means leave me, get away from me. The Gemara says, because Hashem does not tolerate falsehoods he who speaks falsehoods cannot be in the proximity close to Hashem within the inner circle of Hashem therefore one who speaks lies is driven out is expelled from this inner circle of course the spirit said I will go down and mislead I will lie speak lies Hashem said go succeed but get away from my inner circle because I cannot tolerate lies sugar this prophecy Mechaihu said to Achav, and Achav refused to accept this, he was furious with these words. He said to Mechaihu, because of what you said, I want you to be placed in a dungeon. Stay in that prison. You're not released until I come back safely. This will teach you a lesson. This of course is the price that the prophets pay. many of the prophets, the sadikim. Among the prophets were put to death in a horrible manner, despite their purity, because of their truth. Their outspokenness, they suffered the consequences. They did this as true servants of Hashem. They were willing to give their lives, to speaking openly, to reprimand, and try to bring to Chuba, to repentance, those who were sinning. So Michal was put into this dungeon, and Achav decided to go into battle. He told Yehoshaphat to come with him, he said that you may ride in a coach, even a royal coach, and have no fear, because the country of Aram is at battle with me. It's me they're looking for. They're going out to get me. Therefore, he said, I will go into this battle disguised as an ordinary soldier. This Achav did. He went on a regular coach, with his servant disguised as a soldier and the battle began with the army of Aram being ordered to concentrate only one thing the king told them go out and get the king the jewish king get Achav. i want him killed that's your goal everything else does not matter this is how the prophecy came true the jews who saved because there was no intent upon killing them just to get the king alone The army went out and they saw the royal coach of Yehoshaphat. They rode to the attack. When they came to the coach, Yehoshaphat cried out. Before they struck him, they recognized him as not being the Jewish king, and so they released him. They began an intensive search for the king of the ten tribes, Achav. They could not find him, but a battle did ensue, and in this battle, inadvertently, unintentionally, one of the arrows of the enemy struck Achav and wounded him mortally. He called out to his servant, Take my coach back, quick, away from the battle lines, back to the city. And the coach was taken back with his body. And while on this ride back, the coach was filled, the blood dripped down on the wheels of the coach. And when he finally came to there, he moved him. Dogs came out and licked up the blood of Achav to fulfill the prophecy by Mechayu, the words of Hashem. Achav died, and his son Ahazioh became king in his place. Sometime later, Yoshaphat passed away. His son Yoram became king too. We have a new era of Ahazioh as king of the 10 tribes, Yoram king of the two tribes. But we want to go a little bit deeper. Because we have done this before, the last year, it's only right that we do it again. We spoke in the last year about Achav. You recall, I Abinazel mean, well, told a story of, despite the fact that Gemara says that Achav was so wicked and that he could not get Ganatan, still the story with the Shazo This is a matter of little over 300 years ago, when the Marsha saw a youth and this youth was killed. Masha said this youth was the Gilgal of Achav who came back again. He worked for his Tikkun to perfect him. Rizal says that Achav did come back a number of times. Each time he comes back, part of his sins are eradicated until he will have a complete Tikkun. Again, despite the fact that the Gemara says he is one of those kings that never got to Gan But again, Due to the fact that he did this most important mitzvah. He attached himself with respect to the sadikim This affected his ultimate cure or ticket of perfection. Rizal as Migala reveals this fact. Yora says, a story that everyone is fully aware of, the story of Abishun and Yafaizal, when he spoke against the Roman kingdom, and his words were reported to the Roman king by one who had over, overheard this. His name was Yuda Ben-Gerim. He told the Roman king about this and this caused Rameshuma Yehoezal to hide out. He had to flee his home, hide out in a cave for a period of 13 years with his son. At the end of those 13 years, the king had died and he was free to return. The Lord says when he came back, he was so great that all the rabbis of the Gemara recognized him as their head, their leader by far. He performed certain extremely important beneficial deeds for the Jews. And then one day he went outside and he came face to face with this Yehuda Ben Guru, one who had reported him to the <laughs> king, or the one who caused his being reported to the king. It was indirectly. But he saw him, you were the cause of my being ostracized, forced to flee, go into exile for so many years. Therefore, he looked at Yudhav and The look of a tzaddik, when it is done with anger, kills. Yudhav turned into a pile of bones. The reason is that the look, of course, the of the Eo, the stockless of a tzaddik, is supposed to give wisdom. As a fact, looking into the eyes of a tzaddik gives a person wisdom says it, you receive the light of the tzaddik's neshama that way. But that's if it is done with kindness, with chesed. Re'iyah is the Aryeh, the lion, stands for chesed, the right side. And the Merkava, heavily thrown, the lion is on the right, this stands for chesed, for kindness. And with the Re'iyah there is this kindness. Rizal says it depends though, because Re'iyah also is Begimatria Gevuda, which is Din. Tzaddik can look the force of the left, and cause harshness. Harshness meaning death. And this is how Yehuda ben was pulverized. He fell into a gal shell a pile of bones, which means he died. At that point, Tesavus asks a question. How can we say that this happened to Yehuda ben that he was a villain in this story? We find elsewhere that the Meshimah sent his own son to Abhuda Ben-Gerim for a bracha, for a blessing, which means that he was good. Therefore, Tezis says it's difficult to answer this question. We must say that this part of the story must have happened a little differently. It's difficult to say that he was really killed, so Tezis remains with that difficult point. How could he have killed one whose blessing he sought? But says the answer is very simple. Because Achav originally himself was a Gilgal. He was the Gilgal of Avraham Avinu's brother, Nacher. And that's why he got the name Ahab in the first place. Achli Av, brother of our father, Avraham Avinu. At the same time, afterwards, of course, he was the son of Terah. He followed this the Zorah. That's why, in the course of his life, he pursued the same path of idol worship. But bringing the brother of Relevino was a big bigzachus for him. That's why, though he committed these sins of idol worship, he was destined to become perfected, and he came back in the form of Yehuda ben Gadim first, which showed that he was a leader. A king is important. A king is the leader, and a king's blessings are important. Important enough, even to have a b'shemah to send his son to him for a bracha. At the same time, his death was necessary because he had to come back a number of times. Each time he came back as a gilgal, he had to suffer death little by little to erase his original sins. That's what we find at that time, before Hitler the Gedim, and then eventually in the form of the, the youth who came to the Mashorzaal. All this is intended to show that the, the Shema of a Jew was very precious cannot be wiped out. It must be perfected, ki l'idach The comes from the Shechina, and the Shechina is eternal. It must remain, it has to be purified, cleansed from uh, the, uh, the attached impurities that are caused by a person's misdeeds. The cleansing process, of course, can be done through fire, suffering, g'anam chashashon, yesurim, or coming back again and again to finally bring out the purity of the Neshama. And this was the case of King Ahav. We see that it is certainly better, Ben Adal says, it's certainly better for a person, rather than to have to rely upon coming back again and again, certainly it is beneficial for a person to improve, to perfect himself. During his lifetime. That's the time for tshuva. Not to rely upon coming back again, but to rely upon purifying himself through severe punishment. A person should do tshuva that is so pure that will cover his lifetime and only pass kigulum. This is what each person should strive for. Now we come to the story of Ahav's son. Achazio, the son of Ahav, Torah says, followed the steps of his father, he too worshipped idols, he too spread idol worship throughout the Jews, and did not relieve the tension between himself and the good prophets to any degree. They were all opposed to him. As king of the Jews, of course, he was privileged, he could have led the Jews to good, he did not. And so he antagonized the prophets and of course he antagonized heaven. So one day, the says that he was walking on a roof over <coughs> a skylight, the skylight broke and he fell through it, he fell through it, he was wounded so seriously, that he was placed on his bed and he wanted to find out, he was curious as to whether he would live in this Come out alive this. So he sent messengers to the home of the idols, where they worship the idols, to inquire of the idols or their keepers, the false prophets, if he would come out alive from this illness, this accident. Hashem spoke to the end of him. meanwhile, and told him, Go meet these messengers of the king, and tell him because he went to inquire of the idols rather send to a good prophet, the prophet of Hashem, therefore notify him that he will not rise up out of this bed. He is going to die there. These messengers met at the Al-Navi. He gave them this message and they returned. The king asked them, how come he came back so quickly? You didn't have a chance, time to get to the, to the idols. And they replied because before we get far, we met one who told us a message from Hashem, a prophet. And he asked them, What did he look like? And they answered, He was tall, he had a lot of hair, and he wore a thick leather belt. Well, the hair, of course, this shows that it was a type of a Nasir, because ordinarily, it is always stressed that hair is a sign of tumor. Long hair is a definite sign of tumor. It is against every facet of Hebrew law. That's why the Torah stresses here. This was done because of a special din of Kedusha. And also his sign, a symbol was this wide belt, heavy belt that he wore. And Ahaziel said, I know him. That's Eliyahu Hanavi. And he gave you a message of that kind to me. I must get him here alive. So he called upon, and he started to the garden, told him, take 15 men with you and bring Gilead to me. This officer came with his men. He approached Gilead and he said to him, Yisholikim, Prophet of Hashem, I've come to, to bring you to the king. The king has ordered you to come to appear before him, King Hazio. If you don't come willingly, then I will have to take you by force. And the he answered to him and said, You say, issue the kim prophet of Hashem. If I am a messenger of Hashem, if so, let a fire descend from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. The next moment, all of them died in a sheet of flame. They didn't return, so the king decided to send a second group of soldiers. These two came before Elia with the same words, the same message. Isher the Kim. They proceeded with these words because these are the words the king told them to say. The king has sent us to bring you and we will fulfill this mission. Again he replied, If I am an Isher the let a fiery sheep come down from heaven and consume you. when well, this happened immediately so the king was undaunted. He sent a third group to Eliyanovi. This third group came. The leader of this group was a wiser man by now. And he fell before Eliyanovi. and had to plead with him. He said, I know you're a holy person. I know what happened to the others. It is not my fault. I beg of you, please have mercy on us. I come only because the king has commanded me to come before you. So now he answered, since you speak that matter, then I'll come with you willingly. He followed this group of soldiers. He came before the king. and He said to the king, you summoned me. You didn't believe my words, and I'll tell them to you in person. The message of Hashem is that since he refused to send to Hashem, to inquire about your health, or to ask for assistance. You apply to the idols, and you receive the assistance they can give, which is nothing, and hence, your death is ultimate, it is certain. So immediately afterwards, the king died, Ahaziah died, and his son, Yoram, succeeded him. So at this time, by some strange coincidence, we have two kings, king of the ten tribes, the grandson of Ahav, the king of the two tribes, the son of Yehoshaphat, both ruling at the same time, both with the same name, Yoram. At this point, we come to the sad departure of Eliyahu Levi. We go back to the point where Hashem said to Eliyahu Levi, He bade him to appoint a new king over Aram, a king over the Jews, and third, Hashem said, I want you to anoint, that means to appoint in your stead, Elisha Anavi, your student, Elisha, to take your place. This meant that not even have to leave the world, he have to depart. And yet, we find that in his case, he did not depart in a regular manner. He did not die a normal death. In fact, he did not die. Imar says there were certain people in history nine people altogether, who left this world, departed without experiencing death itself. Each one of these was either that holy, or performed a certain act that was so meritorious that it deserved going without the experience of death. Now even the greatest Ascetic fears death in the sense that it is an unpleasant sensation. Except for the few who die in Misas neshika, like Rosh Rabbeinu, it's called the Kabyakul, they can use that term, the kiss of death by the Shechinah, the spirit of Hashem, which draws out the soul of the person. Otherwise, the Gemaras, and even the great rabbis the Gemaras, said that reported back afterwards they did not relish the thought of having to go through the experience of death. So these nine people were the ones who did not experience death at all. He left this world without dying. We'll discuss this in the next year, especially the case of Eliyahu Anabi and how Elisha Anabi succeeded him by he took over the crown of chief rabbi of the world. And again, the, we can learn, from even the lowest Jew, the importance of true emuna and true niskashras to tzaddikim key to the success of a Jew, spiritually and even physically, is Amunas sadikim and true niskashrus. We should be zekhah to that true emunah niskashrus and that tzachus. We should see with our eyes, Yeshua, Chloelius, Bias, Mashiach, Tkeno, and Ma'apola for all the signing of the Jews. B'yam b'shemikdash, me'edah, amein, main Amen, amen. amen.